Hello and welcome to the return of the Film Coterie podcast. After a long hiatus, I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And folks, we are back. It has been a long time since we've done a podcast, Adam, and the world has changed. We are coming to you live from the end of the world. <laughs> we are in our bunkers <laughs> at our separate command centers. Yes. And we are uh, watching outside of Tenet. All that I have seen is screeners that are being either shipped to my house or that I'm getting an app to watch on my Apple TV. So it's been quite the interesting year. Theaters are closed, UFOs are showing up, and now we're getting strange monoliths popping up everywhere. I'm telling you, man. But you know what? Uh, we, we've just decided it's time to jump in and embrace the new reality and continue to bring you great movie reviews and content and our thoughts. We are film lovers. And so if we have to adapt to this changing world and this landscape for films are changing, Adam, you know, it is changing. Yep. And uh, if we have to adapt to that and start bringing you reviews from places like HBO Max and Netflix and Amazon, we're just going to do that, you know? We have to adapt. I mean, theaters are closed. We don't know when they're going to reopen. Everything's shifting around. And we are going to do our top 10 this year. Yep, absolutely. Have to figure that out. We're currently burning through our screeners and trying to find the, the best 10 films of the year. So if you remember the last podcast that we did, I think it was Bad Boys for Life, and it was around the end of January, 1st of February, somewhere in there, before the world went crazy in March. And um, how are movies changing, Adam? For those of those folks who are like, oh, Film Coterie, they, they put out a new podcast. Uh, for us as critics, how is the movies changing for us? For us, it's theatrical distribution. So we, we saw some early changes. Trolls World Tour was the first to go premium VOD. $20, you can watch it at home. It skipped its theatrical window. And then Disney put out Onward for free yeah. on Disney+. Plus. And then it kind of quieted down again. I thought this might be a trend to continue through the summer where we get more premium VOD titles. And we didn't really, outside of maybe Bill and Ted, you know, a lot of movies just shifted to 2021 and just completely came off the calendar. Yeah. And, and then you know, Tenet arrived to try to save the world in August. And it didn't happen, unfortunately. It did not happen in the U.S. It did and, better overseas. And, you know, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts about Tenet, but you haven't seen it yet, right? I have not seen Tenet. So, I'm waiting on a screener. So we're, we're going to have to do a look back to the past and review Tenet when we both had a chance to see it. <laughs> It's definitely a film I want to revisit again, but I'm not ready. We just can't talk about it right now, you know. Um, right. But you know, then Mulan came came to back to Disney Plus as well as a as a premium release, right? You know, $20. and that kind of struck people in a wrong way because people were already paying yeah. a subscription price and then had to pay a rental price on top, and then the movie would be free for later. So Mulan was kind of a failed experiment, and yeah. we say that because Disney didn't try it again. Right. They didn't put out Black Widow or any other titles that way. So Mulan did not work out the way they intended. And and then here, just these last few days, we had the bomb bombshell drop from Warner Brothers. 
So it's the biggest shift in the movie industry in some time. So Uh, so, Warner Brothers is putting out all of their 2021 titles on HBO Max the same time they're in theaters, day and date. Um, It's going to be in 4K with HDR. They're they're doing this, and they've upset a lot of people. They've upset theaters. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've upset the talent. No one was really notified of this ahead of time. And uh, Legendary Pictures that studio is getting ready to sue them allegedly because they're producing yeah. partners on Dune and Godzilla versus Kong. So, so, so for your $16 a month for HBO max, okay. You're going to be able to get 4k content for, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, the new conjuring film, the suicide squad film, Dune, King Richard matrix, the fourth. I mean, all of these, these the slate of films that were supposed to come out only in the theaters suicide squad suicide squad a lot of these films these actors and people who produce these and and direct them they have contracts that say they get percentages on the back end you that's going to take a huge hit and you know how will other studios follow suit you know i mean i i don't know um what about NBC and Universal? Are they, you know, will they announce something in the next month or so? You know, it, it's just, it, it, it's, a, it's a crazy, weird world that we live in now. And, and here's the thing is the studios don't know when theaters will open. They also don't know when people will come back and feel like it's safe. Right. Um, this is the middle of December while we're recording this. You know, vaccines are just starting to come out. They haven't yet. And then the general timeline is that general population vaccination might be April. Right. And it's a two step. So your second shot might be in May. And when one are, you know, is it going to be the summer and people are back in theaters? Or are they still avoiding them? We don't know. And the uh, studios yeah. don't know. Yeah. And, you know, the first of the Warner Brothers films to drop is going to be Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 84. Well, this was previously announced. That was their first thing. And that was a deal they worked out with Patty Jenkins. Yes. She gave a really nice interview where she said it's not ideal, but she, you know, it felt something special to give this movie on Christmas to people as she really believes the message has a, as the movie has a good message of hope and all this other stuff. So she agreed to it and it was known. Uh, The rest of the Warner Brothers slate being shifted to HBO Max was a seismic event. Yeah, it, this, you know, like you said, the, the Wonder Woman was supposed to be kind of a one-off. Okay, we've reached an agreement. We need something to pick us up at Christmas, you know, and let's release the fun Wonder Woman 84 and everybody can go to HBO Max and, and, and watch it. And, well, and it's no secret that HBO Max needs numbers. Uh, they are yes. struggling. Um, there was confusion about the service at first. What is it? Why is it different from HBO? So this was a a move to get people because even if you had the free trial of HBO max, you couldn't see wonder woman. Yeah. They've designed it that way that you're going to need a subscription. And this was their goal to run up some subscriptions and get people hooked. Well, and I never, and I know we're kind of going a little long here with this with, but you know, it just is what it is. I never understood why not just have the one tier of HBO raise the price to $15, $16 and say, we now offer HBO Max. It's a Cinemax HBO combo, and you're going to get great content from both. And then all the stuff, you know, it's just never made sense to me. Sure. So, so how is the film coterie going to be adapting? I mean, 
<laughs> I look back and I laugh now. We launched some YouTube videos in our YouTube channel and the world ended. You we, know? we took some partial blame for that. We said we'd never do YouTube. The second we do YouTube, the world ends. Oh, um, maybe we were responsible. Yes, I think maybe we were responsible, but we're trying this new format. We're video recording. Um, if these turn out okay, we may produce these, put them up on YouTube. Uh, but you will definitely continue to get the audio podcast every time we record. As long as the recording turns out, we're going to get it to you. We're going to send it to you. We're going to press on. Like Adam said, we're going to put out our best of 2020 list. I looked in my letterbox and I have 21 films total to date. Now, I've got some screeners to start putting in, but I think I was in the 50s, low 60s this time last year. And I know you were way above that number uh, yeah. this time last year. Yeah, I'm around 130 or so for this year. Whew. Yeah. And, you know, this year it has, a, has even changed with how many of our film festivals got canceled or shifted to online as well, you know? So. Yep. A lot of changes, but the film coterie, Adam and Roger, we are going to press on and well, continue. That's a good point. We should hammer right now is that um, Sundance is going to be online this year. It's going virtual. And what's exciting yeah. to us here in Columbus is that the Gateway Film Center is a satellite of Sundance. So make sure you're paying attention to their page, their social media. There's going to be a way that you're going to be able to see uh, the Sundance films that are selected to be in the satellite program at the Gateway Film Center if you're in Columbus and also yep. some other indie Absolutely. art house theaters around the country. So for once, Sundance is in our backyard. Yep, absolutely. That, that's a good thing. I'm excited about that. So anyway, let's shift gears. We have two films we want to review tonight. Uh, Soul by Pixar, which has not released yet. Is it coming Christmas Day or? It'll be Christmas Day on Disney+. Plus. So Soul is coming to uh, on Christmas Day. And then uh, Netflix released a film called Mank. Um, and I'm excited to talk about both of those films with you, Adam. Why don't we take a quick break? Why don't we take a peek into Soul? And when we come back, we'll review it. You are listening to, and I love to say this, The Film Coterie. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What the... This weed, it counts off. There's a soul missing. Okay, and we are back, and it's. I hope you enjoyed that little snippet of Soul. Um, so Soul is the new Pixar film, Adam, and it stars... The second one for this year. Yes, yes. Onward was the first one. Yep. And uh, this, this film stars Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey and Graham Norton. Big players, great. I mean, you know, big cast, name cast. Um, it's directed by Pete Doctor, who was a writer on most of probably your favorite Pixar films. He was a writer on Up. He was a writer on Inside Out, Monsters, Inc., Wall-E. So he is a director picked right out of the Pixar family to, to 
um, to direct and to, to take the reins on this next Pixar film. And so um, if, if you've seen any of the trailers, it's heavily about, there's a heavy jazz music involvement in the film. And so if you like jazz music, this could be a film that you really like. We're going to try not to do a lot of spoilers, but it is a Pixar film. And if you're spoiler, if you really hate spoilers, just skip ahead to Mank, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. But well, you know. I mean, we can be a little bit vague here without spoiling anything. The, the previews for this film gave you idea that this character would pass on to the afterlife and there'd be some right. adventure. Um, but other than that, they never really showed you much of the movie. You didn't really get an idea of the narrative path from the trailer. You understood it was soul. You understood it was about music and the afterlife. And it was kind of surprising to me because we got Coco not all that long ago and it had some familiar themes there, but it had more of a cultural expl exploration in Coco between the music and the afterlife and, and family and all that. Right. So soul goes in a different way than I thought thought i don't i don't really want to spoil it but the adventure was not what i was expecting um in terms of the afterlife because they introduced this afterlife really quick in the movie it's the great before there's the great right. beyond then there's this great before where there's unborn souls right waiting waiting to find if they are ready to go and be in the world i guess maybe so yeah so you then have this inner relationship between a soul on his way out and then a, a soul that hasn't quite found its purpose yet. Right. And they obviously in the very Pixar way are going to help each other out. And, and just from that description, Adam, this seems to be lining up to be just another Pixar classic. I mean, all this thing has been teed up. It's got great voice actors, great acting in it. It's visually very pretty, like it always is with the Pixar film. It, it's the story seems to have the right beats, but I, you know, I have I have older, I have young adult children now, right, mm -hmm. and who are huge Pixar fans. They grew up literally their whole life watching Pixar films. They love they love Pixar films, and so they're a good bellwether for me on what the general public might think. You know, as a critic, I might pick it apart and not like this or that or whatever, but they just go and they want to enjoy the film and have a good time. And as soon as we got done watching our screener of it, they were like, that was okay. Yeah. And that was it. That was their only response, you know? And so they, I guess, kind of liked it, but it was just okay. And I got to be honest, I agreed with them, you know? The story went in a direction I was not expecting and shifted the whole tone of the film. Mm -hmm. um, they tried to bring it around with some really heartbeat moments, but by the time they did that, it was lost on me, you know? And so I, I walked away just kind of being like, meh, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of, I mean, it was okay. It, it just didn't, I mean, I, I'm the guy that cries at the end of Pixar films, okay? They just always seem to touch me because they deal with relationships that touch me, you know? Fathers and sons and, you know, like Onward did. And it and that, mm -hmm. that film just tore me up. Two sons and their dad and how each related to them differently. And the, the story was so moving and it touched me and I was in tears at the end of it. 
And everything was set up for soul to be that way, but it just didn't happen. The tone shifted, the comedy shifted, and I felt myself going, oh, okay, this is where we're going. Yeah. And I've thought about this too. I, I left it with sort of the same impression that you had. I was, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, it didn't really feel like it had all that Pixar magic for me. Um, this is just frustrating because I, one, it looks great. I mean, I wish I could have seen this on the big screen. Oh yes, absolutely. You know, it is a lesser experience seeing it at home, even if you yeah. have a good TV versus a really good theater screen. But this is a movie where I don't feel like all the elements came together. I feel like there's good ideas in here, but you can see right. the seams. They just don't, it's not a flawless mixture like, like Pixar can usually put out. For instance, this isn't really about music. They're, you know, they tried to insert that in there and it, it never really gelled yeah. with everything else. You yeah. know, this is a movie about finding your purpose and it may not be what you think it is. And, you know, what is life? It has big questions, but the elements just do not come together, at least for me, like in the other Pixar movies. Where the, and even the emotional stuff doesn't hit the same way for this film as in other Pixar films. Yeah. And, you know, you and I may be the odd ducks out here in the reviews yeah. of this film because it's getting really positive reviews. But I, I, the story points are all there, but it just the tone shifted and I just I couldn't get past the comedic shift in the film, you know? And that's something, I don't want to spoil it, but you think this is going to be a really unique, never before seen thing. And then it, it goes in a direction you've seen a hundred times in other yeah. cartoons. And trope city, movies. trope city happening so everywhere. That was just disappointing. They went in that direction. And when they, they yeah. could have done so much more with the setup. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I'm still giving this a good review. If, if you just had the metric thumbs up, thumbs down, this is still a thumbs up for me. Uh, yeah, no, but absolutely. I have to say it's lesser Pixar. Yes. Yep. I, I, I'm in total agreement. I, I it, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, it would have been fun to watch on the big screen, um, but it's, it'll be fun for the whole family to get together and watch, but it's just not top tier Pixar, you know? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would say that the other Pixar film was better in my opinion than the one they released this forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 I'm not trying to beat I'm not trying to beat this thing down, but there's a much better version of this film that Pixar's already done. Yes, it's Coco. You know? And it's Coco, a film about the afterlife, a film about family and how they connect, a, a film about music and its involvement in festival. And Coco, in there it all it all and, it all yep. just grabs you right at the end, man. And I I mean I'm a big ball, you know, when he when when they start singing Remember Me, I'm bawling like a baby at the end of that film, you know? And yeah. and and soul just it didn't have a soul, it didn't have heart, it didn't, you know, in Coco, they they took the motif of the Hispanics view of the of the afterlife and they just went for it, you know. Mm -hmm. They went for the day of the dead and they went for the celebration and they they went to the heart of it. And, and soul just never does that for me. So. And maybe one of the worst offenses is I thought soul was wrapping up and then I realized it had 20 minutes left. I don't know if it hit you the same way it hit me, but I think that's part of the problem too, is that the narrative path isn't all that clear and obvious. It's not. So yeah. it, it's not really an adventure. Like a lot of Pixar movies are, this is sort of just an experience um, a lot more dialogue and you know yes. I, yeah. I don't know how the younger crowd is going to react to it some of the characters are cute when they turn into their spirit form 
but I don't know that it's going to be all that engaging for the, the children that are, that don't really know what's going on with the story. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. So, okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for soul. We are going to give it a, 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 a go and go and watch, go and see, watch it on, watch it on your TV there, but um, just not top tier Pixar for, for me right. or for Adam. So, all right, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to review Mank. You are listening to The Film Coterie. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz, New York playwright and drama critic turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. All right, and we are back for our second movie of this episode, and that is Mank, the new Netflix film from none other than David Fincher. Yes. Written by his father, Jack Fincher. Yeah. And this is a pro this has been a a thing in Fincher's life for some time. This is a project that's been near and dear to him. He's been trying to make it forever. And Netflix sort of helped him out like they helped out Scorsese. You know, give him all the money he wants. This movie looks like it cost a fortune. Oh, yeah. It's shot in velvety black and white. It looks incredible. And it is a dense puzzle box of material that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. You could bring up the name Herman Mankiewicz, and it's not going to mean a lot. He's sort of a hidden figure in early theater, early cinema. Now, if you've listened to the film coterie before, you know that this is Roger's wheelhouse. He loves films from this era. Love it. The 19 I love the 1930s and 40s. My favorite from 1938 to 1945-ish, 46-ish, some of my favorite like the sweet spot. I I'm convinced 1939 is the greatest film year ever, but that's just me. So, and I'm obviously into more modern indie stuff. But going into this, I you'd have a think you'd think that this is going to go one way for us between which one of us is going to like it and which one is not. I have not talked to Roger about this yet, but I'm going to make a prediction. We're going to be flipped on this. I have the feeling <laughs> that we're going to end up in the opposite position than where you'd expect from reading the what this movie was about. So, what did you think, Roger? Well, so this this film, Mank, is set up to be a home run for me. I love David Fincher, love seven, love Zodiac. I mean, I love social network. I, I just really dig his films. Right. Mm -hmm. And here he is given a Netflix budget budget, and he's going to go back and do old Hollywood and everything you said, Adam is correct. It is beautifully technical masterpiece of a film. I mean, technically perfect. I mean, this is like, this is like Nolan, Chris Nolan level. I mean, just incredible filmmaking here. I mean, blown away by the look of this film. 
visually beautiful. Music is incredible. It's great in this film. And that's Trent Reznor. Yes, exactly. Yep. And, and, and the performances, I thought, are really good by the leads in this film, okay? And so, you know, think about, let me just kind of, if you, so there's good, bad, and ugly about this film for me, okay? Now, first of all, you got to remember, this is, this is a movie about the guy who, with Orson Welles, wrote Citizen Kane, okay? These guys won an Oscar for for uh, original screenplay, Wells and Mankiewicz did, okay? Now, mm -hmm. neither one of them were there to accept. Um, Mankiewicz was probably in a bottle somewhere, and, sure. you know, and Wells was off shooting his next film, right? But this is the era. Now, let, now, 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 go, now uh, Citizen Kane's going to come out in 1941, but this is the era. Let's go back just two years, 1939, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Stagecoach, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, 1940, Grapes of Wrath, 1941, Citizen Kane. This is just like incredible. So, so yes, we want to know about what was Hollywood like during this time. And, and so the good is there's no more fertile soil than to let's dig in and let's really find out about um, what was going on with Herman Mankiewicz and how did this film get made and what was the tension between the two and all of that. And so it's all there, but it just misses for me. And I'll, I'll give you just a few reasons why this film really misses for me. Number one, some real history is required for you to enjoy this film. Now, now did I like this film? Yes, visually I liked watching it. I liked listening to it. Yes. And I but if you don't know who Louis B. Mayer is, David Oselznick is, Irving Thalberg is, if you don't know who Marion Davies is, if you don't know who William Randolph Hearst is, you know, if you don't know these players, if you don't know the MGM stage lot of of of, of people who were there most of this film is just going to, I think, pass you. You're going to, it's just going to miss you, you know? Um, the bad of that is you got to have a history lesson. Also, this film is an homage to Citizen Kane, the actual film. It's yeah. shot, the narrative is scattered everywhere, hard to follow. It's, it's travel back in time and look at snapshots of Mankiewicz's life. They're trying to take Citizen Kane and make, make mank be citizen kane they're trying to show you let's film it like it was the same way we the citizen kane was filmed and do they do a, a technical masterpiece to do it yes it's filmed great i mean there's there's a couple scenes where they remove the filters and it is so beautiful it 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 it, it takes me i mean it was just breathtaking right i mean it just blew me away and then there were times where you could see where they smudged up the, the digital and made it burns and, and, and put junk on to make it look like an old reel, you know, so you were looking at a film from the thirties, but, you know, but huh, it's just scattered and the narrative is there. And then, okay, let's get to the ugly. I just was not interested or engaged in Mankiewicz. He just was now was Gary Oldman's performance good 
And is there one scene? Is there one dinner scene where he arrives inebriated? Not one of not it's probably the best scene I've seen all year in a film. Incredible. That that one snapshot is incredible. But the, now, for, let me just jump in before go you ahead. the dinner scene is incredible. Um Spielberg was on set that day. And he didn't, I'm not going to say he co-directed or anything, but to have the benefit of, of Fincher and Spielberg together looking at a scene, working it, it's, I don't think you're going to find a better scene all year yeah, than that yeah. dinner scene. Yeah, it's, but, but, you know, ultimately the pieces, the pieces for me don't come together and make a whole. I've only seen it once. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I had a fond appreciation for the history, who the characters were. Um, I thought there was one really flat performance that that missed every time it was on the on the screen, um, and ultimately I just I wasn't engaged by Man who Mankiewicz is. You know, I, I didn't. You know, I don't know. I'm just back and forth on this film. I like some of the ways that he was portrayed, and then there were times I was just like, I have no idea where this is going, and we're going to fall into the trope of the the drunk genius let me get drunk and i can turn into a genius and i can finish this script in one night and i was like are you serious i mean come on you know so yeah for me it, there was a lot of misses with these beats and the points so uh, what what'd you think adam what were your thoughts i love this thing uh it's one of my favorite movies of the year i know that's not maybe saying much in 2020 but just the density of it. And like you said, this is not a primer. This does not introduce you to anything. It expects you to have a working knowledge of the history of Hollywood, what was going on. There's no character that's going to explain things or fill things in. The dialogue is not to bring you up to speed. It's just to tell this story. And this movie doesn't just cover Citizen Kane. This covers the studios and Hollywood and studio politics and real politics and just the whole era sort of mashed together, told out of order. But the thing that really drew me to this is the dialogue. The dialogue for Mank, for Mankiewicz, the character himself, is so good. And it had to be because this is a legendary writer that touched Wizard of Oz and Citizen Kane and Pride of the Yankees. So they did an incredible job with this dialogue and it was almost overwhelming just to hear it. You know, you were always almost a step behind Mankiewicz whenever he was talking and what he was realizing or what he was trying to get across. Now, and, and, and okay. I do, I do agree with you. I thought the dialogue was great. I thought Gary Oldman's performances performance was incredible. I'd forgotten how good of an actor he really is. Right. My problem with this is I don't, there's no connective tissues. And that's a lot about Citizen Kane. It's left very, un, very disjointed as well, too. And that's what I love about Citizen Kane, right? Mm -hmm. But there was no circularity. There was no callback at the end. There was no, you know, there was nothing that tied something that, that, you know, at the end of Citizen Kane, spoiler alert for a movie that's super old, right? 1941. There's a callback to childhood and a callback to what really is important in his in 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 his life, and it's a beautiful moment. It's a touching moment. I just never got that with with Mank. It it just was something that was disjointed. I agree with everything you said. It's dense. The dialogue is great. Uh, most of the performances are spot on. 
But in the end, those pieces didn't add up to a, a collective narrative for me. And it is a fascinating history. If you read up anything on this, Mankiewicz did write Citizen Kane, at least the first draft, from bed. He dictated it. He was in a car accident, and the studio put him up in a ranch and tried to separate him from booze and distractions to write this. And then the history is also true that Orson Welles was not around during this first draft. And there's always been a conspiracy or mystery of who did what, and that if Orson changed anything about it, it was later drafts. Mankiewicz certainly wrote the first draft or second draft all by himself. And then there was the battle. Uh, Mankiewicz actually to take Orson Welles to arbitration um, and won. It was the first case where the writer had gotten credit after arbitration to be on this movie. And, And this is a guy that let himself be taken off Wizard of Oz. And he never cared about a film he wrote before. You see how he doesn't even want to talk about Wizard of Oz in this film. Oh, yeah. But no, yeah, absolutely. Going through this process of writing yeah. Citizen Kane, he's a troubled artist that now realizes this is the best thing he's ever written and he's going to fight for it. And it, it's that journey that drew me in, that he's just a guy trapped in bed at first, maybe in a misery situation that you have to write this thing. And then to produce something so legendary as Citizen Kane in such adverse situation and circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to be that, that this is going to be the one thing he fights for in a life where he just walks around and doesn't care. He now cares about Citizen Kane. Yeah. And in writing it, I I think what the movie's doing, because he's writing Citizen Kane disjointed, people are bringing that up. He's also journeying through his own life and going through all these different periods and everything else. And it, it comes out in Citizen Kane that way. Well, And there are, you know, one of the things I appreciated about the film was that with, with Mank's character, with Oldman, there's no falling into the drunk, older man, early Hollywood stereotypes. He has some really tender, there are three women around him who really, you know, four, his wife, the two, the, the two caregivers, and then Marion Davies, you know, and he is a, displaced maybe father figure to Marion Davies in in this, you know, the Amanda Seyfried character. And they have a real tender moment where she realizes she's, this young girl has spoken out of turn and she runs away in shame. And uh, Mank's wife nods like, yeah, go talk to her. Mm -hmm. And you're waiting for it to go ugly or go bad or miss a beat. And it never does. And he's very tender with her. He, he, he talks her, you know, talks it through with her and really impacts her, you know, in, in a great way. So there's some great moments in this film. It's just, for me, the pieces never really came together to, it's like, this is a good film. This is a three and a half out of five star film for me. And it just is like, if you just would have clicked the focus lens one degree to the right, if they would have clicked something there, this could have been a five-star film just like that for me. And it just never got there. I never I found that I really was just not interested in what happened to, to Mankiewicz. Mm-hmm. I didn't care whether he got credit or not toward the end, you know, because his character by nature is kind of aloof and right. distant, you know, and maybe that's just great performances. And, and, you know, this might be a film a year from now after I've watched it two or three more times that I just absolutely love. But after one viewing, 
and coming away thinking, oh, this is my wheelhouse. This is old Hollywood. This is what I love. You know, I just really, it just slightly missed the mark for me. Well, and I think if you were to compare this to the rest of Fincher's catalog, this kind of comes in at the Zodiac level where it really does reward multiple viewings. It, it wants you to sink in and sort of, you know, a, absorb what's going on it's it's not yeah. a surface level film at all no I, I i agree with you absolutely so okay well i think that's going to wrap it up for our review of mank and let's take a short break and come back and we'll just kind of do our coming attractions what's what's happening in the next few wait, weeks on the film coterie as we drift in toward the end of the year um what what can you expect from us uh you are listening to the film coterie we will be right back Okay, and this is our last segment, the coming attractions segment. And so, Adam, um, what do our our listeners and potentially our viewers down the road, what do they have to look forward to in the weeks to come on the Film Coterie? Well, our next episode will likely be Wonder Woman 84. Um, yeah. We don't have the exact screener dates, but we are hoping to see that in advance of uh, the release date on, Warner Bro- on HBO Max. I was going to call it Warner Brothers Max. <laughs> HBO Max. Yep. And then we'll do our best of somewhere around the new year, early new year. We're, we're still burning through our screeners. So if you've seen something you like, I mean, always feel free to reach out to us on all the social media. We're at Film Coterie. Tell us what you're watching, what you're digging. Um, something that Roger and I both found this year, because we're watching obviously more TV. Um, we turned out to be both big fans of Ted Lasso. I think uh, Ted Lasso is a great series. I, I would love to, oh, sorry. I cut out there. I got a little uh, feedback, but I would love to do a weekly watch of Ted Lasso and do a little mini show of that and, it, and do that as a supplemental content. It's just so charming. <laughs> oh. it, it felt like the movie or the show we needed in 2020. My, my kids keep rolling their eyes at me when I tell them, listen, tw- Ted Lasso is one of the best things that have been on TV this year. You <laughs> need to watch it. It's great. It's funny, heartwarming, uh, smart comedy. Yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent so show. We want you to tell us about more Ted Lasso's. What are you watching and loving and enjoying? If it's not movies or yes. TV, just what, what are you getting into? Um, just to wrap up our conversation on Mank, too, this is an interesting experiment from Netflix. This is the third really big film that they've given to a legendary director, and they've all been home runs. Because now we're talking Roma, The Irishman, and Mank. Yeah. We didn't know how this would turn out with Netflix giving almost unlimited funding to these legendary directors. And they're knocking it out of the park. And two of those films have been in black and white. And I'm telling you, I don't, I I don't know what's in the magic sauce over there in Netflix, but Roma and Mank had a couple scenes that moved me. They were so visually beautiful during the film. So if you've not seen Roma, you need to watch it right now on the best TV you you got. And um, yeah, the Irishman is, is, is um, not the Irishman. Yes. Yeah. Irishman. Yeah. yeah the Irish. Yeah. The Irishman by Scorsese. It's great as well. So three home runs 
or at least and best picture contenders at least a triple for me right now (laughs) and there you go but i mean not only are they they good films they're coming out as legit best picture contenders oh yeah absolutely with as weird as this year is it would not be at all surprising to see amazon and netflix dominate the best picture films this year yeah I know. know, So, okay, man. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, episode of the film coterie, our, our return after a long hiatus partner. It's good to be back here with you and to be recording and uh, look for more of these to come uh, on the next episode of the film coterie, man. 